Chapter 9 of How to Camp Out. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sarah Jennings. How to Camp Out by John M. Gould. Chapter 9 Tents, Tent Poles, and Pins. Army Shelter Tent. Tente d'abri. The shelter tent used by the Union soldiers during the rebellion was made of light duck about thirty-one and a half inches wide. A tent was made in two pieces, both precisely alike, and each of them five feet long and five feet and two inches wide, i.e. two widths of duck. One of these pieces, or half-tents, was given to every soldier. That edge of the piece, which was the bottom of the tent, was faced at the corners with a piece of stouter duck three or four inches square. The seam in the middle of the piece was also faced at the bottom, and eyelets were worked at these three places, through which stout cords or ropes could be run, to tie this side of the tent down to the tent pin, or to fasten it to whatever else was handy. Along the other three edges of each piece of tent, at intervals of about eight inches, were buttonholes and buttons. The holes an inch, and the buttons four inches, from the selvage or hem. Two men could button their pieces at the tops, and thus make a tent entirely open at both ends, five feet and two inches long, by six to seven feet wide, according to the angle of the roof. A third man could button his piece across one of the open ends, so as to close it, although it did not make a very neat fit, and half of the cloth was not used. Four men could unite their tents by buttoning the ends together, thus doubling the length of the tent, and a fifth man could put in an end piece. Light poles made in two pieces, and fastened together with ferrules, so as to resemble a piece of fishing rod, were given to some of the troops when the tents were first introduced into the army, but, nice as they were at the end of the march, few soldiers would carry them, nor will you many days. The tents were also pitched by throwing them over a tightened rope, but it was easier to cut a stiff pole than to carry either the pole or rope. You need not confine yourself exactly to the dimensions of the army shelter tent, but for a pedestrian something of the sort is necessary if he will camp out. I have never seen a shelter made of three breadths of drilling, seven feet three inches long, but I should think it would be a good thing for four or five men to take, and I should recommend that they make three-sided end pieces instead of taking additional half-tents complete, for in the latter case one half of the cloth is useless. Five feet is long enough for a tent made on the shelter principle. When pitched with the roof at a right angle, it is three and a half feet high and nearly seven feet wide on the ground. Although a shelter tent is a poor substitute for a house, it is as good a protection as you can well carry if you propose to walk any distance. It should be pitched neatly, or it will leak. In heavy pelting rains, a fine spray will come through on the windward side. The sides should set at right angles to each other or at a sharper angle if rain is expected. There are rubber blankets made with eyelets along the edges so that two can be tied together to make a tent, but they are heavier, more expensive, and not much, if any, better, and you will need other rubber blankets to lie upon. If you wish for a larger and more substantial covering than a shelter, and propose to do the work yourself, you will do well to have a sailmaker or a tent maker cut the cloth and show you how the work is to be done. If you cannot have their help, you must at least have the assistance of one used to planning and cutting needlework, 
to whom the following hints may not be lost. We will suppose heavy drilling 29.5 inches wide to be used in all instances. The A-Tent To make an A-Tent, draw upon the floor a straight line 7 feet long to represent the upright pole or height of the tent. Then draw a line at right angles to and across the end of the first one to represent the ground or bottom of the tent. Complete the plan by finding where the corners will be on the ground line and drawing the two sides, roof, from the corners to the top of the pole line. This triangle is a trifle larger than the front and back of the tent will be. The cloth should be cut so that the twilled side shall be the outside of the tent as it sheds the rain better. Place the cloth on the floor against the ground line and tack it to hold it fast to the pole line which it should overlap 3 eighths of an inch, then cut by the roof line. Turn the cloth over and cut another piece exactly like the first. This second piece will go on the back of the tent. Now place the cloth against the ground line as before, but upon the other side of the pole, and tack it to the floor after you have overlapped the selvage of the piece first cut three quarters of an inch. Cut by the roof line and turn and cut again for the back of the tent. In cutting the four small gores for the corners, you can get all the cloth from one piece and thus save waste by turning and tearing it in two. These gore pieces also overlap the longer breadths three quarters of an inch. The three breadths that make the sides or roof are cut all alike. Their length is found by measuring the plan from corner to corner over the top. In the plan now under consideration, the distance will be nearly 16 feet. When you sew them, overlap the breadths three quarters of an inch, the same as you do the end breadths. In sewing, you can do no better than to run, with a machine, a row of stitching as near each selvage as possible. You will thus have two rows to each seam, which makes it strong enough. Use the coarsest cotton, number 10 or 12. The sides and two ends are made separately. When you sew them together, care must be taken, for the edges of the ends are cut cross-grained and will stretch very much more than the cloth of the sides, roof. About as good a seam as you can make in sewing together the sides and ends is to place the two edges together and fold them outwards, or what will be downwards when the tent is pitched, twice, a quarter of an inch each time, and put two rows of stitching through if done on a machine, or one if with sail needle and twine. This folding the cloth six-ply, besides making a good seam, strengthens the tent where the greatest strain comes. It is also advisable to put facings in the two ends of the top of the tent to prevent the poles from pushing through and chafing. The bottom of the tent is completed next by folding upwards and inwards two inches of cloth to make what is called a tabling, and again folding in the raw edge about a quarter of an inch, as is usual to make a neat job. Some makers enclose a marline or other small tarred rope to strengthen the foot of the tent, and it is well to do so. One edge of what is called the sod cloth is folded in with the raw edge and stitched at the same time. This cloth, which is six to eight inches wide, runs entirely around the bottom of the tent, excepting the door flap, and prevents a current of air from sweeping under the tent, and saves the bottom from rotting. The sod cloth, however, will rot or wear out instead, but you can replace it much more easily than you can repair the bottom of the tent, 
Consequently, it is best to put one on. One door is enough in an A-tent, but if you prefer two, be sure that one at least is nicely fitted and well provided with tapes or buttons or both. Otherwise, you will have a cheerless tent in windy and rainy weather. The door flap is usually made of a strip of cloth six to nine inches wide, sewed to the selvage of the breadth that laps inside. The top of it is sewed across the inside of the other breadth, and reaches to the corner seam. Tent makers usually determine the height of the door by having the top of the flap reach from selvage to seam as just described. The narrower the flap is, the higher the door will be. Some make the door flap considerably wider at the bottom than at the top, and thus provide against the many annoyances that arise from one too narrow. The loops, or beckets as they are called, that fasten to the tent pins are put in one at each side of the door and at every seam. Some makers work an eyelet or put a grommet in the seam, but in the army tents which are made of duck there are two eyelets worked, one on each side of the seam, and a six-thread manila rope is run through and held in by knotting the ends. The door is tied together by two double rows of stout tapes, sewed on at intervals of about eighteen inches. One inside the tent ties the door flap to the opposite breadth, and a second set outside pulls together the two selvages of the center breadths. Do not slight this work. A half-closed door, short tapes, and a door flap that is slapping all the time are things that will annoy you beyond endurance. The upright poles of a tent, such as has been described, should be an inch or two more than seven feet, for the cloth will stretch. If you have a sawed cloth, the poles should be longer still. The wall tent. The wall tent is shaped like a house. The walls, or sides, which are perpendicular, are four feet high. A continuous piece of cloth runs from the ground to the eaves, thence on toward the ridge pole, and down the other side to the ground. The tent is made on the same general principles as the one last described. It is four breadths square, but the width is usually diminished by about one foot by cutting six inches from each corner breadth. If the cloth is drilling or light duck, you can overlap the center breadths a foot, and thus have the doors ready made. Draw a plan upon the floor, as in the other case, the pole nine feet and two inches high the corners four breadths apart, less the overlappings and the narrowing. Draw the wall, in the plan only, four feet and two inches high. The roof line runs, of course, from the top of the pole to the top of the wall. Cut the cloth, as before, so as to have the twilled side out. Add six inches to the distance measured on the plan for the length of the walls and roof, so as to get cloth for the eaves. The wall is to be four feet high, Consequently, when you have sewed together the four breadths that make the roof and walls, measure four feet three and a half inches from the ends, bottoms, double the cloth, and sew two rows of stitching by hand across from side to side, one and a half inches from the doubling. This makes the tabling for the eaves, and you have two inches left for the bottom tabling. Use stout twine for these seams at the eaves, and take only three to four stitches to the inch. Take the same care as before in sewing together the ends and sides. The larger the tent, the more this difficulty increases. The sod cloth becomes more of a necessity as we increase the size of the tent and add to the difficulty of making it fit snugly to the ground. 
facings should be put in where the ends of the poles bear as before explained and also in the four upper corners of the wall to prevent the strain of the corner guy lines from ripping apart the eaves and wall beckets must be put in the bottom of each seam and the door the same as in the a tent and strong tapes sewed to the door guy lines made of six thread manila rope are put in at the four corners of the eaves and at every seam along that tabling making five upon each side work an eyelet or put a grommet in the doubled cloth of the seam knot the end of the guy line to prevent its pulling through tying the rope makes too bungling a job and splicing it is too much work the six guy lines in the body of the tent should be about nine feet long the four corner ones about a foot longer the fiddles should be made of some firm wood pine and spruce will not last long enough to pay for the trouble of making them the poles should be nine feet and four or five inches long if they are too long at first sink the ends in the ground and do not cut them off until the tent has stretched all that it will in permanent camp a fly over the tent is almost indispensable for protection from the heat and pelting rains it should be as long as the roof of the tent and project at least a foot beyond the eaves the guy lines should be a foot or more longer than those of the tent so that the pins for the fly may be driven some distance outside those of the tent and thus lift the fly well off the roof cloth for tents for convenience we have supposed all of the tents to be made of heavy drilling many tent makers consider this material sufficiently strong and some even use it to make tents larger than the united states army wall tent my own experience leads me to recommend for a wall tent a heavier cloth known to the trade as eight ounce ravens duck because drilling becomes so thin after it has been used two or three seasons that a high wind is apt to tear it the cost of the cloth is about the same as the value of the labor of making the tent but the difference between the cost of drilling and eight ounce duck for a wall tent of four breadths with a fly is only three to four dollars and the duck tent will last nearly twice as long as the one of drilling for these reasons it seems best not to put your labor into the inferior cloth before you use the tent or expose to the weather anything made of cotton cloth you should wash it thoroughly in strong soap suds and then soak it in strong brine this takes the sizing and oil out of the cloth and if repeated from year to year will prevent mildew which soon spoils the cloth there are mixtures that are said to be better still but a tent maker assures me that the yearly washing is better than anything applied only once some fishermen preserve their sails by soaking them in a solution of lime and water considerably thinner than whitewash others soak them in a tanner's vat but the leather-like color imparted is not pleasing to the eye weak lime water they say does not injure cotton but it ruins rope and leather and some complain that it rots the thread it will save strain upon any tent to stay it in windy weather with ropes running from the iron pins of the upright poles which should project through the ridge pole and top of the tent to the ground in front and rear of the tent a still better way is to run four ropes from the top two from each pole pin down to the ground near the tent pins of the four corner guy lines the two stays from the rear pole should run toward the front of the tent and the two front stays toward the rear crossing the other two the tent is then stayed against a wind from any quarter and the stays and guy lines are all together on the sides of the tent 
loosen the stays and guy lines a little at night or when rain is approaching so as to prevent them from straining the tent by shrinking. Around the bottom of any tent you should dig a small trench to catch and convey away the water when it rains, and I caution you against the error which even old campers sometimes make. Do not try to have the water run uphill. How to Pitch a Wall Tent Quickly after you have once pitched the tent and have put the poles and pins in their exact places, note the distance from one of the upright poles to the pin holding one of the nearest corner guy lines, and then mark one of the poles in such a way that you can tell by it what that distance is. When you next wish to pitch the tent, drive two small pins in the ground where the two upright poles are to rest. The ridge pole will tell you how far apart they must be. Then, by measuring with your marked pole, you can drive the four pins for the corner guys in their proper places. Next, spread the tent on the ground and put the ridge pole in its place in the top of the tent and the two upright poles in their places. Then raise the tent. It will take two persons, or if the tent is large, four or more, having first moved it bodily to bring the feet of the upright poles to touch the two small pins that you drove at the beginning. You can now catch and tighten the corner guy lines on the four pins previously driven. In driving the other pins, it looks well to have them on a line if possible. Also try to have the wall of the tent set square. To do this, you must tie the door just right before you tighten a guy line. You will find this way of pitching a tent convenient when a wind is blowing, or when your assistant is not a strong person. If the wind is very high, spread your tent to windward and catch the windward guidelines before raising the tent. You will thus avoid having it blown over. Tent Poles As tent poles are not expensive, you may find it convenient to have two sets for each tent, one stout set for common use, and a lighter set to take when transportation is limited. Sound spruce, free from large knots and tolerably straight-grained, makes good poles. Pine answers well, but is more expensive. The upright poles of a stout set for a wall tent of the United States Army pattern should be round or eight-sided, and about two inches in diameter. If you prefer to have them square, round off the edges or they will be badly bruised upon handling. Drive a stout iron pin seven or eight inches long into the center of the top until it projects only about three and a half or four inches, or enough to go through the ridge pole and an inch beyond. It will be necessary to bore a hole in the pole before driving in the pin to prevent splitting. A ferrule is also serviceable in this end of the pole. The ridge pole should be well rounded on the edges and be about two and a half inches wide and two inches thick. If made of stuff thinner than an inch and a half, it should be wider in the middle than above stated or the pole will sag. Bore the holes to receive the pins of the uprights with an auger a size larger than the pins, so that they may go in and out easily. These holes should be an inch and a half from the ends. Ferrules or broad bands are desirable on the ends of the ridge pole, but if you cannot afford these you may perhaps be able to put a rivet or two through the pole between the ends and the holes, or if not rivets, then screws, which are better than nothing to prevent the pin of the upright from splitting the ridge pole. Tent pins. Tent pins should be made of sound hard wood. Old wheel spokes are excellent. Make them pointed at the bottom so that they will drive easily. 
and notch them about two inches from the top so that they will hold the rope. Cut away the wood from just above the notch towards the back of the head. This will prevent the notch of the pin from splitting off when it is driven. It is well to have pins differ in length and size. Those for the corners and the stays should be the largest, say 15 to 18 inches long, and those for the wall and door maybe 8 or 10 inches. But pins of these sizes are apt to pull out in a heavy storm, and so when you are to camp in one spot for some time, or when you see a storm brewing, it is well to make pins very stout, and two feet or more long for the stays and four-corner guy lines, out of such stuff as you find at hand. Loosen the pins by striking them on all four sides before you try to pull them up. A spade is a fine thing to use to pry out a pin that is deep in the ground, and a wooden mallet is better than an axe or hatchet to drive them in with. But unless you have a large number of pins to drive, it will hardly pay you to get a mallet, especially for this business. Make a stout canvas bag to hold the tent pins, and do not fold them loose with the tent, as it soils and wears out the cloth. Best Size of Tents The majority of people who go into permanent camp prefer tents considerably larger than the army wall tent, but unless your camp is well sheltered from the wind, you will have constant and serious troubles during every gale and thunderstorm if you are in a large or high tent. A large tent is certainly more comfortable in fine weather, but you can make a small one sufficiently cheerful and have a sense of security in it that you cannot feel in the one larger. But if you will have a large tent, make it of something heavier than drilling. If you have two tents of the same height, you can connect the tops with a pole and throw a fly, blanket, or sheet over it on pleasant days. Do not pack away a tent when it is damp if you can possibly avoid it, as it will mildew and decay in a few days of warm weather. If you are compelled to pack it when very damp, you can prevent decay by salting it liberally inside and out. Before you put away your tent for the season, be sure that it is perfectly dry and that the dead flies and grasshoppers are swept out of the inside. You should have a stout bag to keep it in and to prevent its being chafed and soiled when it is handled and carried. You will find a hundred good uses for the bag in camp. End of section 9